patients in Wales dialed 999 after eating sandwiches with mouldy tomatoes and suffering paper cuts. Another asked for a lift to A&E because they had an earring lodged in their lobe. One was worried their plaster cast was wet. Of the 470,653 calls to the Welsh Ambulance Service in the last 12 months, nearly a quarter were non-essential. The service reminded people they should not call 999 because of low-quality sandwiches. Depends how bad it was, really. Our Chief Executive Jason Killen said the ambulance service was there for the seriously ill or injured, and when there was an immediate threat to life and many people were calling for non-urgent reasons due to not knowing where to turn. Uh, one person called uh, 999 and asked where to get Brussels sprouts. People with something stuck in their ear still have a clinical need, but calling 999 for that is ill-judged, when there are so many other ways to access more appropriate help, he said. A non-essential calls represents nearly a quarter of our total 999 calls, and time spent dealing with these could be time spent helping someone in a life-or-death situation. Yeah, but they still do it, don't they? They said they should find people for calling 999 for spurious reasons. Yeah, well, you now have to pay in France, don't you? They've introduced that to, if you go to any. You have to pay? You have to pay. Well, you had to pay anyway, didn't you? No. Well, wasn't there, there wasn't a forfait journalier? Or... Uh, no, but if you're, if, you're admitted, if you're not admitted to hospital, then they charge a standard flat rate of €18 Euros for going to any. Unless too... you're pregnant or, well, five months pregnant. It's not too bad, is it, €18? Euros? No. I'm sure if you Depends. can't afford it, they'll let you off. Depends if you've got it or not. The Press Review is brought to you by BMW Côte d'Azur. Uh, the Guardian reports manufacturers have warned that Brexit will add to soaring costs facing British industry amid concerns the customer delays and red tape will rank among the biggest challenges for firms this year. In this morning's uh, Figaro, French authorities say more than 105,000 people have taken part in protests across, across the country against the introduction of the new coronavirus pass. A new draft law would be in effect a ban unvaccinated people from public life. The Irish Times says that Liz Truss's Sunday Telegraph article on the Northern Ireland Protocol provokes just the reaction she will have hoped for, with most reports focusing on her threats to trickle Article 16. Some British commentators suggested the Foreign Secretary, whose unconcealed ambitions to be Prime Minister was signalling a tough new approach to the negotiations. And in this morning's uh, Parisian, Emmanuel Macron has become the first head of state to be awarded the title of Personality of the Year by the Revue du Vin de France wine magazine. BBC World Service News live from London coming up next. The Press Review, brought to you by BMW, Mies Premium Motors, Bayern Avenue Cannes, BMW Store Monaco and JPV Fréjus. Boost your business with the electrified range by BMW. Find all the BMW Business Drive offers at your car dealer. Right, Monday morning pop quiz. Question number one. He was born on this day in 1945, the singer-songwriter. His 1971 debut album, Every Picture Tells a Story, was the first album ever to simultaneously be number one in the UK and the US. I know this, but I just can't think of it. When he was born, 1945. Mm. It's Rod Stewart. It certainly is. Well done. Yeah. Question number two. In 1984, this American singer became the first female recording artist to be nominated for five Grammy Awards. Whitney Houston? No. Madonna? 84. 84, 84. <sighs> no. 
Well, she had hits such as Girls Just Want to Have Fun and True Colours. Cindy Lauper. Correct. Oh. And finally, on this day in 1981, which Lennon song uh, started a four-week run at number Jenna one Sky. in the UK no? ten years after it was recorded? S imagine. Correct. Okay. That's not bad. Two out of three. Well, the uh, the Cindy Lauper was a bit of a curveball. I mean, you know, <laughs> I know she wrote some good songs, but she's not exactly Whitney Houston or Madonna, is she? No. Sorry, Cindy Lauper fans. <laughs> she, she speaks very highly of you. Riviera Radio Business. Good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, sir. Nice to have you back, and it's good to be back with you. Thank you very much. Do you think Boris Johnson will be Prime Minister by Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably more of a question this year than it was for last year. Is once again you've been calling the political scene quite well. There's no doubt that uh, pressure has somewhat been building, but we wait to see how it plays out. That's an understatement. You could get a job with the BBC in this, right? <laughs> That's my ideal to try and tread a balancing act as you throw these political curveballs towards me. Right. So where were you last week then? The market's in turmoil. Looks like interest rates are going to go up. Inflation's rampant. I mean, you know, you should have been here to steady everything down. I, I was around and about, but uh, back to be with you now, which is perhaps the most important thing. As you say, been somewhat of a nervous start to the year for investors. Initially, traders appear to have returned to their desks with a risk-on bias driven by a perceived reduction in risk from the Omicron variant. The above-trend GDP growth predicted for this year and robust corporate earnings projections. However, the Fed minutes provided a dose of reality by reminding investors that policy normalisation is very much firmly on the agenda for this year, putting pressure particularly on US equities and specifically on the highly valued tech sector, propelling bond yields higher. So if you look at market performance last week, S&P 500 hit a record high on Monday, but then sold off to close the week down 1.9%, representing the worst start to the year since 2016. If you look at the NASDAQ, the technology market, well, that was down 4% on the week, the worst week since February 2021. Also a down week for European equities, although the region's lower exposure to growth stocks limited the losses. Stock 600 was only down three-tenths, 1% over the course of the week. From a sector perspective, the banking sector, which benefits from rising rates, recovering economies and cheap valuations outperformed. The S&P 500 bank index was up 9.4% over the week. European banking sector traded its highest level in three years on Friday. Bond markets, lots of action there, of course. Yields on 10-year Treasuries spiked 29 basis points over the course of the week to around 1.8% compared to 1.5% at the end of last year. Biggest weekly gain since September 2019, the highest yield since January 2020. European borrowing costs have also been rising. If you look at the yield on 10-year bonds, edging towards 0%, its highest since May 2019. Element of calm, perhaps hoping to return to markets this week. Opening calls on the European bourses looking positive this morning. Currently calling the FTSE up 27 points. DAX over in Frankfurt up 58 points. Catcon in Paris up 16 points. It does look like it's going to be a rocky road ahead, though. I mean, leaving aside uh, coronavirus and geopolitical tensions, you know, we've got this, uh, this inflation spiking, which is almost certainly uh, set to rise and uh, result in an interest rate rise. And, uh, you, you know, a lot of people might be in a bit of trouble when interest rates start to rise again. 
Yeah, listen, I think the path of policy normalisation is certainly going to be a key driver of economic growth and asset class performance during the course of this year. If you look at the FOMC minutes, they provided an early wake-up call for markets by concluding pandemic-related bottlenecks were likely to persist longer than expected, thereby fostering more sustained price pressures. Signs that the tightening labour market means the US is rapidly approaching full employment. There's also growing concerns inflationary expectations may have become unanchored. If you look at the December employment report, certainly provided evidence of uh, further progress on the full employment mandate, though the headline figure fell short of expectations. So in non-term non-farm payrolls we've got on Friday, the US economy created 199,000 jobs in December. Consensus was around 450,000 leisure and hospitality disappointed, although October and November's estimates were revised higher. However, almost all areas of, beyond that offered upside surprise. The house survey showed the unemployment rate fell to 3.9% from 4.2%. That's the lowest since February 2020, just below the medium FOMC participants' estimate of long-run unemployment. Labour force participation rate held steady. Hourly wages, I think, surged 4.7% from a year ago. So I think if you take the hawkish tone the, from the minutes, the solid labour market report adds to those expectations of an earlier rate lift off and a sooner and faster initiation of the balance sheet runoff. So in terms, just to finish off, of rate expectations, we think the first US rate hike will be in March. Expect three hikes in 2022 and a further three more in 2023, placing the policy rate range at the end of next year between one and a half and one and three quarter percent. So do you think the Fed got it wrong then when they were banging on last year about inflation being transitory? It does seem a bit more than that now, doesn't it? Yeah, even the Federal Reserve have abandoned the term transitory, it has to be said. Now, there are reasons to believe that inflation will moderate quite substantially, certainly from the second half of the year. If you look at energy prices, you'd expect those to stabilise. That's certainly been a key driver in terms of inflation. If you look at the spare capacity in many economies, still remains relatively high compared to where we were at the start of the pandemic. Labour markets, I think, going to be a really interesting one. There's been a shortage of labour, and that's been uh, pushing up uh, wages. One suspects that the fact that furlough programmes are being unwound, that extra um, unemployment benefits have been scaled back. Schools have reopened. That should encourage many workers to go back to the labour force and that should reduce some of the pressures that we've been seeing on the back of that. And also, of course, you've got um, a huge digitalisation, technological advancement, which should also keep price pressures muted as well. So there are reasons to believe the inflation will start to come under control in the second half of this year. But as you say, certainly been higher for longer than was anticipated. And it's a big year in the States as well, of course, with the midterm elections coming up. And, uh, you know, Joe Biden could lose control of the, uh, the House and the Senate, which would uh, really turn him into a lame duck president. Yeah, it certainly would. And the politics is certainly going to be important. The domestic political picture in the United States uh, could change substantially, although we'll have to wait for some time, of course, to find out exactly how that's going to play out. There's also tensions around uh, Russia and what's happening in terms of Ukraine, the unrest that we're seeing in Kazakhstan. So a range of geopolitical tensions will certainly have the potential to disrupt uh, investors during the course of 2022. How's Brexit going then? 
<laughs> well, the reality of Brexit, I think, has been shining through over the course of the uh, the past few months. The reality is there's greater friction at the uh, borders, which has been impacting supply chains and products on the shelves, led to a shortage, of course, of labour, particularly in the key service sector. So I think that's certainly one of the headwinds that the UK economy will be facing as we look through the course of this year and as we uh, move towards 2023. So what happens uh, if and when the UK signs a trade deal with India and uh, relaxes uh, immigration restrictions uh, for Indian citizens who may be allowed to come to the UK for two or three years? I mean, Nigel Farage will be mounting a machine gun post, won't he? Uh, I'm, I'm not the official spokesman for Nigel Farage, it has to be said. But uh, listen, we know the UK is uh, working very hard to improve their trade agreements beyond the European <laughs> Union. And the reality is there is a labour market shortfall in the UK. So helping to plug those gaps, I think, would probably be an important step. The best way to do that still continues, I think, to be very debatable. What was it that Abraham Lincoln said? You can, fool, you can fool all of the people all of the time, some of the time. You can fool some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool You've all really the people. You've really messed that up. You can fool some of the people <laughs> all, the, all time. of the time, and all the people some, some of the time, time but you, you can't, can't fool all, all the, the people, people all of the time. All right. Well, you had a second go at it. I mean, the first effort was absolutely miserable, quite frankly. I have once again helped you back onto the path of... Good and righteousness. That's rich from you, come turning up a week late. Foreign exchanges, please. Let me very quickly mention, very quickly, for Barclays, we know it's a big year for Barclays Monaco this year. So I just wanted to mention that. Listen, Barclays, remember, the first British bank to open its doors in Monaco more than 100 years ago. Over the century, Barclays has been helping family offices, high net worth individuals protect, grow and, of course, pass on their wealth. So this year we'll be celebrating with a range of events throughout the course of this year. So watch out for that in the Principality, including, of course, the Monaco Ocean Week, which Barclays will be uh, supporting for the second year through our partnership with the Prince Albert Foundation to safeguard ocean biodiversity and help maintain a stable climate. So listen, just wanted to say at the start of the year, we've been very proud to serve the uh, Monaco Principality, Barclays Private Bank, got some amazing people in the offices there. So do reach out for them and uh, do watch out for what we're doing during the course of this year. In terms of foreign exchange markets, it's been an interesting few weeks, actually. Pound against dollar has been stronger, 135 and a half this morning. Euro dollar coming in at 113. You're going to get just under one euro and 20 cents for your British pound this morning. Stop pinging, will you? Sorry, people are sending me messages left, right and centre this morning. <laughs> they do it on purpose. Turn your phone off. Yeah, congratulations to everyone at Barclays. And that means you can uh, uh, give me that bottle of Dom Pom that you've been promising for about the last 15 years. We've been holding it in reserve for you and no doubt we'll celebrate uh, our, our century with you and uh, of course our partnership with River, Riviera Radio which has been I think more than 20 years we've been doing this slot which is uh, quite remarkable within itself. I believe I was at the opening 100 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Thank you. Talk to you tomorrow. Nice to have you back. Have a good day. Hang Potts and Barclays. On FM and DAB Plus across the Côte d'Azur, on your phone and worldwide online. This is Riviera Radio with the latest local news for the south of France. Sarah Lysa has the top stories across the Riviera. French President Emmanuel Macron will be visiting our region today. His visit will this morning begin in Nice to discuss security, followed by a visit this afternoon to the Roya Valley to observe the reconstruction of the area following Storm Alex in October of 2020. 
Speaking of the head of state's visit on Sunday, the mayor of Tondes, Jean-Pierre Vassello, has said that the arrival of the president was important and that he welcomed his visit and wanted to thank him, adding that Macron was responsible for triggering the restoration work following the deadly floods. Macron's visit has, however, been met with contempt from local MP and member of the Republican Party, Eric Ciotti, who has announced the boycott of his visit. As speaking to local media, Ciotti claimed that the visit is not a presidential one, but it's part of his campaign in the run-up to the presidential elections. Meanwhile, there have been demonstrations in Nice in protest against both comments made last week by the French president, which were considered derogatory, and the obligation to get vaccinated. Following turbulent parliamentary debates last week on the transformation of the health pass into a vaccination pass, the bill will be presented to the Senate today. Uh, Despite the delay in getting the bill through Parliament, the French government still hopes for its implementation on January the 15th. Uh, From this date, it will be necessary for those over 12 years of age to be able to justify a vaccination status in order to access leisure activities, restaurants, bars, fairs and public transport. A negative test will no longer be enough except to access health facilities and services. Several new COVID measures are being introduced in Monaco. As of January the 17th, people whose work is essential to the business continuity of certain companies or public entities providing essential services to the Principality will have to present a health pass. On Friday, new measures were announced concerning restaurants uh, that from Saturday, January the 8th, the number of guests at restaurant tables was reduced rather from 12 to 8 people and the spacing between tables has been increased. There are also modifications of the protocol relating to isolation periods. For full details of the new measures, you can go to the Monaco government's website. Meanwhile, 152 new cases of COVID have been identified in the Principality on Sunday, bringing the total number of residents affected to 6,007. 41 people are currently in hospital and 362 people are being cared for by the Home Monitoring Centre. Several teaching unions have called for strike action in France this Thursday in protest at the government's health protocols for schools. One of the unions said that they wanted Education Minister Jean-Michel Blanquer to understand that staff can no longer keep up with what is called the impractical protocols, which change from day to day. Another union said the Minister of Education continues to make the choice to keep schools open, whatever the cost, and said that the situation is no longer possible. A new vaccination centre is opening in Toulon today. The centre will eventually have a capacity of 1,000 injections per day. Appointments are open for booking on the website www.drlib.fr. In other news this morning, the final performance at the National Theatre of Nice has been held on Sunday ahead of its destruction and relocation. The project, met by opposition from local MPs as well as several associations, was announced two years ago by the Mayor of Nice, Christine Strozzi, and was confirmed by authorities on December the 10th. Finally, five departments in the Pyrenees Atlantique have remained on a red weather alert due to the risk of flooding. The prefecture has called for the utmost caution and called for people to limit travel to the strict minimum. Riviera Radio, Sports News. Football, the draw has been made for the fourth round of the FA Cup with some of England's smallest clubs still in the hats. Here's more from BBC Sports. BBC Premier League update from the home of Premier League football. Hello, I'm Paul Serres at the BBC Sports Centre. 
There was one major shock in the FA Cup today here in England. Arsenal were beaten 1-0 by Nottingham Forest in the third round for the second time in four years. Lewis Graben scored the goal for Forest, who play in the second tier of English football. The Arsenal manager, Mikel Arteta, says his players were far from their best. The performance wasn't good enough to, to deserve to win the match. and um, I didn't see enough drive, uh, enough purpose in the way we played. Uh, to try to approach the issues that they proponed during the match and, um, and it's very disappointing. Tottenham Hotspur had to come from a goal down to beat Morecambe, who play in the third tier of English football. The match finished 3-1 with Lucas Moura and Harry Kane both coming off the subs bench to score. The Spurs manager Antonio Conte was pleased with the win from his much-changed side, if not the performance. We struggled a lot. In the first part of the, of the game, because uh, we didn't score and uh, we conceded a goal on set pieces, it was uh, a bit difficult for us to come back. We deserved to win, but in this type of game, you have to show your strength, and uh, not in all the game we show it to be superior uh, to them. Up next will be a home game against Brighton in the fourth round of the cup in an all Premier League tie. An understrength Liverpool side also had to come from a goal down to beat third-tier side Shrewsbury Town 4-1 at Anfield. They will host the championship side Cardiff in the next round of the Cup, while West Ham beat Leeds 2-0 in their third-round tie. And for more football news from the BBC, go to bbc.com forward slash football. BBC Premier League update from the home of Premier League football. One tie tonight, uh, Manchester United play Aston Villa. We've got some breaking news here. Uh, the Australian government's agreed to revoke the decision to cancel Novak Djokovic's visa last week, meaning the visa he came to Australia on stands. And he will be released from detention and get his passports and other personal effects back. Uh, the court says the reason is the government acknowledged it didn't give Djokovic enough time after notifying him with the intent to cancel his visa to speak to others and fully respond. Uh, notwithstanding that, the Immigration Minister Alex Hawke can now personally intervene and decide to cancel his visa anyway on entirely new grounds, which the government flagged in court may be something that happens. If it does happen, it could end up back in court because Djokovic would face being banned from Australia for three years if the minister decides to cancel the visa. Uh, the hearing has now ended, but it uh, doesn't sound like it's over completely, does it? Cricket, England escaped the fourth test against Australia in Sydney with the draw. Uh, to avoid a series whitewash, the tourists clung on for the last 13 balls with Stuart Broad and James Anderson frustrating the bowlers as England got to 270 for nine when the match ended. The fifth and final test starts in Hobart on Friday. And in rugby union, Leicester's 11-match winning streak in the Gallagher Premiership came to an end on Sunday as they were beaten 16-13 at Wasps. Sunday's other match ended Bath 22, Worcester 19. That was Bath's first win of the season, but they stay rooted to the foot of the table. Here's the marine weather forecast for coastal areas up to 20 miles offshore the Almara Seam and Navarre. The general situation is a depression 995 millibars over Sicily and a ridge of high pressure 1025 millibars over western Spain. Winds are northerly, 42 to 4, the sea is slight, visibility is good. Barometric pressure at Saint Jean Catfera, 1003 millibars. And the outlook for Tuesday, clear skies, force 2 to 4, northwesterly winds, slight seas, and good visibility. For North Corsica, winds northwesterly, force 4 to 6, the sea is moderate, visibility is good, barometric pressure at Cap Course, 1002 millibars. And the outlook for Tuesday, clear skies, force 3 to 5, northeasterly winds, slight to moderate seas, and good visibility. Riviera Radio, weather.
I think it should uh, feel pleasantly warm in the sun this afternoon. That uh, biting wind we had yesterday seems to have dropped. Clear skies, light to moderate westerly winds, temperatures 12 to 14 degrees, overnight lows 3 to 6 degrees on the coast, minus 1 degree inland with clear skies. Tuesday and Wednesday, clear skies, highs of 12 to 14 degrees. Finally... A study has revealed if men or women are more vain using the time that they spend in front of a mirror. The study was achieved by analysing the length of time young adults spent in front of the mirror and by tracking their gaze to see where they were looking at any given point. It's official, modern men are more vain than women and the results found that the blokes stared at themselves for five seconds longer than women. A group of 68 adults, mostly students in their 20s, were recruited to help experts study mirror exposure therapy. The men spent 80 seconds on average checking out their own faces while women took just 75 seconds. Good job, old-fashioned and ugly then. I spend as little time in front of the mirror as possible these days.